So what happens to all of us is the brain at a very primitive level is wired to avoid pain. Pain is the clearest signal. It's like the neurologic signal that you could be in danger. So if I put my hand on a hot stove and I burn it, I'm going to pull my hand away and I'm never going to put it back there again. We call this one trial learning in neuropsychology. The problem is that the same principles around pain avoidance apply in our emotional lives. How many times have we burned ourselves on a hot stove? But we're getting into these same emotionally distressing situations over and over and over. So what people are doing, largely unconsciously, is they're looking for the pain-free option. So the powerful question is not, how do I escape pain? The powerful question, again, I recognize that this is counterintuitive, is in a world that promises me pain, which pain works toward my empowerment? Hi, I'm Kelly Namiro. Welcome to the Balancing Chaos podcast, a lifestyle podcast where we'll talk about wellness, motherhood, and some really exciting things in between. My goal is to help you develop a lifestyle that promotes health, wholeness, and success. Through my conversations with our experts and guests, I hope to inspire you to live a beautiful, full, and joyful life as you navigate balancing the chaos. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Balancing Chaos podcast, where today we are going to explore the intricacies of relationships and wellness. As Valentine's Day approach, there are a lot of couples out there that find themselves facing challenges that can lead to real breaking points. And today we have a really incredible guest, Dr. Julia DeGangi, who delves into the neuroscience of why relationships break down and how to repair them before the intensity of Valentine's Day hits. Dr. Julia is an expert in the connection between our brains, our emotions, and our relationships, and she shows people how to harness the power of the brain to lead to more satisfying and emotionally intelligent lives. So get ready to join us for a fascinating conversation on love, connection, and relationship resilience. I am super excited to have you. Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. I'm excited to be here too. So let's start by just talking about um, I know that you work with a variety of different people from entrepreneurs to, you know, high working, high, high level successful people. And you also focus on this relationship aspect. So how did you get into this work? What kind of made you want to focus on this specific piece? So I, that's a great question. <laughs> um, so by training, I'm a neuropsychologist, which means I'm a clinical psychologist with specialized training in the brain. Mm -hmm. So what I really, you know, in my academic research, I'm very well published in the scientific literature and my work really focuses on difficult emotions. Yeah. So we call those difficult emotions, all kinds of things, right? We call them anxiety, traumatic stress, regular old stress, irritation, frustration, being triggered, inadequate, unworthy. I mean, there's probably what, tens of thousands of synonyms. Sure. So my work is really, you know, I, I kind of struggle to be like, do I work? I've had a very diverse career. So I have worked at the White House. I've worked on US presidential campaigns. I did a lot of international humanitarian aid work. And then I end up in academia. So it's like, I've been all over the board. But the piece that really unifies it is emotion and relationships. Mm. You know, one piece I'll share here is that I come from a lineage of psychologists. My father is a psychologist, so it certainly makes family dynamics and holidays very interesting in my house. But <laughs> I've been I've been talking about human relationships and emotion since I've been a tiny child. Yeah. And so I just um I feel like I was put on this planet to talk about this relationship between 
emotional pain and what I call emotional power. In other words, who are we when we are hurt and how do we take our hurt and become whole, not in spite of it, but for many of us because of it. Yeah. I think that that's so fascinating. And I think that I don't, I would love to hear your thoughts on this, but I am assuming that as an American culture versus other cultures, we seem to have a harder time to some degree, folk like dealing with those challenging emotions that you're talking about, the feeling unworthy, anxiety, like, and is, I'm wondering if there is a reason for that. Are we just more likely to turn to coping mechanisms? Um, or, or what are your thoughts on, on that aspect of things? So I will say, I think these horrible feelings inside of our body that again, like, you know, I know that sometimes we really are traumatized and sometimes it just feels so horrible to be frustrated. It feels like so horrible to like, ugh, be anxious. And we, we can even understand that we're not going to die, but it still feels awful. Right. You know, I think having this like bad feeling inside of our body is a very universal experience. You know, I think that's part of what drew me to it is like, no matter where I was on the planet, conflict always felt like conflict. Greed always felt like greed. Betrayal always felt like betrayal. Hope always felt like hope. Mm -hmm. So I, it's sort of a, a lot of my colleagues have been like, how do you go from this international work to like tiny structures, you know, basically like nuclei and the amygdala or something. And the answer is like, I think there's something incredibly unifying and healing about understanding how our brains create our lives. Mm. You know, I always say like, it's so interesting to me that we spend more time figuring out how to operate our cell phones or now chat GPT than we pay to the intelligent handling of the most exquisite machine on the planet, which is your brain and your nervous system, right? And like, the more we learn about, because the, the brain, like any machine, it has certain parameters. Mm-hmm. And when we don't respect the machine, the machine ain't going to work the way we want it to. So I, again, I, I'm interested to have this conversation with you about how we can show up more powerfully in our relationships. Yeah, I think that I, I definitely want to tie this back into our relationships because what you say like about respecting the machine, right? That's kind of like what I think about in terms of, we have to put the work in on ourselves first before we can see the impact that it has on our relationships. And I'll give an example of that. Like when I first, so I met my husband back when I was um, 19 and we dated for a while, we broke up and then we got back together. Um, And even when we got back together in my mid twenties, I was still very, like, I would call myself, label myself at that time in my life as an anxious person. And that anxiety would impact our relationship, right? Um, But now that I have spent the last, I don't know, like five to seven years really focusing on trying to ground myself, trying to work on that piece of me, understand where it comes from in my past and all of that, um, use the tools and techniques that help me to ground my nervous system, it has much less of an impact on our relationship. But in the past, what I would do is I wouldn't respect my body or my brain. And I would just be like, okay, I'm going to scroll on Instagram. And then I'm going to have three glasses of wine tonight. And then I'm going to do all the same overwhelming things that I did the day before that caused me to feel this anxiety in the first place. And I think that where all of that comes from is not having the awareness 
of what the things are that are creating the uncomfortable emotions. Right. So I'm wondering if before we dive into the impact on our relationships, if you can talk a little bit about how might somebody start that journey towards more self-awareness. First of all, I, I'm laughing because I think what you're saying is so universal. We all, <laughs> all, you know, I, sometimes I laugh because I do a lot of work with couples. Sure. And sometimes couples will be like, it must be such a dream to be married to you. And I'm like, next week, my husband will make a guest appearance in this session and tell you how crazy, you know, it's like, so yeah. we're all, we're all like in this together. And I think it's so interesting to me that I call it a pain sandwich. Like we can be triggered. And then on top of that trigger, feel ashamed, right? We can be jealous. And then on top of that jealousy, be ashamed. It's like, these yeah. are normal human experiences, the way hunger, the way sleep. I mean, it's just, so I do so many of these podcasts in part to normalize this. And I love, I mean, even your point of departure is so intelligent, right? Because one of the things I will say is when I, when I do work with couples to, and I, this will definitely directly answer your question. Never once have people been unable to say what the problem is. So they'll come in and they'll say, and I all kind of get, so they'll sit on my couch, either virtually or in my office. And they'll say, he doesn't listen to me. No, she doesn't listen to me. He doesn't love me. No, you don't love me. No, you don't listen to me. No, no, you don't. No, you don't. No. So, okay. I'm like, so great. Got it. We don't respect each other. We don't love each other. I heard it. Super valid. <laughs> We're totally going to get to that because right. such a we've been there and it's incredibly painful. But let's put that to the side for one second. I have another question. What are the ways, like what is the actual evidence that shows me, or more importantly shows you, the ways that you profoundly listen to yourself? Mm. Tell me the ways, like the actual evidence that you profoundly respect yourself or love yourself. And Kelly, I've got to be honest. I almost never get an answer to that question. Yeah. And I actually I think so. that is so hopeful because here's the thing. If we were really working our best strategies and it wasn't healing us, yeah. well, then it's time to be like, maybe this really is an unsolvable problem. But when we're not even tapping in to our most formative, powerful, transformative tools, I feel like there's so much hope. It's like, wait, no, we don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. We just need to start doing the transformative work. So to go back to your, I think exactly where you started is it's like, if my husband walks in and I have, so I first want to talk about the best way to think about the brain. So the best way I said, the brain's a machine. Well, okay. How should I consent? There's lots of different machines out there. The best way to think about your brain is as a pattern detection machine. Now I write all about this in my new book, Energy Rising. And I think it's, I'm, I'm on fire for the book. I think it's just so good. I think it's so helpful. I think it's clarifying. So your brain is really moving you through your life, basically as a pattern detector going apple, apple, apple. Okay. Fill in the blank. Well, the brain predicts that it should be apple. Well, it could have been banana. It could have been pencil, but here right. we are now. Great. Well, of course our brains are not actually going apple, apple, apple. What are our brains actually doing. In my work, I talk all the time about emotional energy and emotional patterns. When I talk to you about emotional energy, I am not speaking metaphorically. I am not speaking metaphysically. I am speaking neurobiologically. Emotions are neuroelectrical signals that your brain is sending out to construct 
your literal reality, okay? So we are actually making meaning in our lives entirely, I think this is mind-blowing, almost entirely on emotional energy. Mm-hmm. In other words, does my partner really love me? Do I have a good relationship? I don't know. How do you feel about it? Right. Is your partner giving you enough attention? I don't know. How do you feel about it? Do you have enough time in your day? Do you have enough money in your bank account? These things are most fundamentally mediated by emotion. Okay. So in our relationships, we are all running emotional codes. Now, I hope we have a lot of codes that are very good. You know, in other words, we think people like us and we think people listen to us, but we also have one or two primary codes that cause pain in our life. And the codes are going to be something, or the patterns, like use those words interchangeably, is going to be something like this. Nobody listens to me. Nobody listens to me. Nobody listens to me. And then I get in a new situation in my life and the brain says, what is the predictable feeling here? And then my brain predicts, nobody's going to listen to me. Is that, a, a, it, are those codes or patterns, do they come back for most people all the way to childhood? Amen. Amen. <laughs> And the re- and so we cannot talk about, I know we're here talking about romantic love. We cannot talk about, especially, so I always say the strongest relationship on the planet yeah. is the, the parent-child relationship. It's the most powerful. The most complex relationship on the planet is the long-term adult romantic relationship. There is no other human being on the planet that we come close to projecting so many roles. We expect these people to be our lovers, our friends, our caretaker, our co-parent, our our errand runner, our house manager, our utility player, our bit. I mean, it's (laughs) wild. It is wild. What is the, I'm, I'm really curious now that you mentioned that about like the parent child relationship right now, I think there's this, I don't know if it's a myth or if it's truth, but I know you're going to be here to answer it. What is the reality of the parent-child relationship being a predictor of the long-term partner relationship. You so often hear people say, oh, you married your dad. Or, oh, you know, she like your partner's just like your mom. Like, what is the reality of that? Because I've even heard that kind of stuff like in therapy before, but I don't know how real how real it is. Okay, we're gonna, this is gonna be great. We're gonna totally talk about this. Okay. So we do not partner for life by mistake. Hmm. Okay. And we come in to our long-term adult relationships to finish the unfinished business of our childhoods. It's really interesting. So I don't so much say like, oh, did I marry my father or not marry my father or marry my mother? What I think the most sacred. So if I had to give you one word to describe my work, it would be counterintuitive or it would be opposite. Like And if you think about it, this, if the brain is a pattern detector, apple, 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 well, it seems intuitive. It seems logical. It makes sense that it would be apple. So when we do things different, a lot of times it feels counterintuitive. It feels opposite. It can even feel wrong, right? Right. But what I want to tell people is if you really think about your life and the ways that you're falling into pain in your life, they are always chronic, In other words, it's not the one relationship in 1991 that was bad. It's like, why do I keep getting in relationships that are not satisfying? 
Why do I keep having conversations that are not satisfying? Why do I keep getting in fights with my mother or my partner or on social, right? It's the chronicity of our emotional life. It's not the one time right. in 1904. Right. Right. I think that that's, I, I love that that's kind of what came out as the response because I don't want to make this podcast all about myself and my relationship, but what I definitely noticed like in my late teens into twenties, like even when the first time I dated my husband is I was in a pattern of dating men who at the time did not give me the support or the, so I was always the giver. Like I was constantly giving, I was cooking, I was going out to, you know, buy, run their errands by the, and like, and then I would feel like I wasn't getting anything on the other end, but I was okay with that because I felt like I had to give so much to be able to earn the love of whoever it was I was dating at the time. And so, um, to be fully transparent, the first time my husband and I dated, like we broke up because the relationship was really toxic and I wasn't getting my needs met. Then we get back together um, after dating other people two years later. And I can say that like in my situation, he's a completely different person. What are your thoughts on the people's capacity to change within relationships? Like that idea of like once a cheater, always a cheater. And not that my husband ever you know, cheated on me, but I'm just wondering like that whole mentality, do people really have the capacity to change within relationships? Absolutely. I would never, I don't think I, I think you I wouldn't do the work you do if they did. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, nope. Yeah. We're all stuck like this. So especially <laughs> like I really gravitate towards working with adults. I do a lot of parent coaching, but I, my, I adore working with adults. So sure. wouldn't it be all, it's like, nope, well, I guess after age five, we're all stuck like this, you know? Right. Um, no, I believe deeply in the transformative power of change. But what I wanted to say about your question, because I think this never gets talked about enough. And I think at first, part of the reason I mentioned all that stuff about my work being counterintuitive, I think it can feel like, oh, you know, she's like the things she's saying are depressing. They're not depressing. They're so hopeful. So I think the holy the holy hope of the long-term relationship is to activate the childhood wound. Okay. So the greatest, the greatest power of the, the long-term romantic relationship is it activates all this potentiality. So we know that our partners trigger the shit out of us, right? Okay. Well, when we get triggered like that, there's sort of two paths. One is decay of the relationship lots of fighting and then ultimately disengagement or there's this this thing keeps coming up for me to use your example i keep feeling like i have to overgive and overgive and overgive and we make a mistake when we think that we're just overgiving with bob like it's just me and bob where this happened right and the reason i think this is so true is if you look at marital stats we know that Second marriages statistically fail more than first. We know that third marriages fail more than all of them. Well, that doesn't make a lot of logical sense. If I ride a bike for one year versus two years versus three years, the longer I do the thing, the better I get at it. Well, what? And so I apply that same logic. Shouldn't the second relationship I'm on, the third relationship I'm on be almost effortlessly better? No, not necessarily, unless... I'm working on these underlying emotional patterns. See, and now that I'm glad that I told that whole story, 
within the context of what we're talking about, because if I go back and my husband knows this, like I can really see that in those two years that we spent broken up, that was a huge time for me personally to work on my own BS of like, I need to like be more confident in myself. And I need to be more confident that like, I deserve to have my needs met and my emotions met and all of these things met in a relationship. And I think that that is why not only did he show up differently when we got back together, I showed up differently when we got back together. And that's why the relationship worked out differently. And I know that that's not always the case for everybody, but I think it comes back to what exactly what you were saying is that like, if we work on the trigger, the emotional childhood wound of like, I'm, you, you can tell what mine was, I'm not enough, then, and I think that's what a lot of it comes down to for a lot of people, but I would love to hear your your thoughts on that. Um, we can kind of shift not only how we act, but how our partners react to us. Is that the core wound for a lot of people, the I'm yeah. not enough wound? Yeah, I think we all have just different like variants of I am I am not worthy. Yeah. I, I'm not enough. I am inadequate. I, nobody listens to me. Well, why don't they listen to me? Cause I'm not interesting enough. Right. Well, they don't see me. Well, why? Cause I don't matter enough. Right. So it, what's so interesting is like, we're all like running around behaving in all these dysfunctional ways, trying to protect our like deep, dark, dirty secret. But the big yeah. cosmic joke is like every single one of us to varying degrees feels this. The other piece that I think it's like, and I, I think what is is good about my work is it's very upstream. I'm like, what is, because I think a lot of times we try things that are kind of downstream and we're like, oh, it didn't give me the relief I wanted. And then when we try enough things that don't work, we're like, it feels kind of hopeless. Like I've tried a lot and it doesn't work. One of the things I, I and I'd be interested to hear if you're willing to sort of share sure. and if not, I'm happy to come up with examples, but when we realize, and this is again, very counterintuitive. It's very like, oh, I didn't think of it like that. When we go around saying, I have to overgive, okay? Well, why do I overgive? Anytime I give, it's from an energy of joy. Like it's very joyful to give. Anytime I overgive, it's always from an energy of lack or fear. Like if I don't overgive, you will leave me, okay? So one is joy, one is fear. Well, here's the thing that I think blows people's minds is I am a participant in the very system that is hurting me because if I really start to dismantle it, if you really started, if I say, for example, you need to give to me, if my partner turns around and starts giving, even though it's the thing I want, it will feel like pain. If my nervous system is not prepared to receive, Mm. when you start to give to me, I will start. No, 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 no. You said, haven't you ever had a friend come over Yes. and, or like someone will pick up the tab at dinner and instead oh of God. allowing yourself to be taken care of, you're like, you're like literally like doing a WWE, like wrestling match on the table to try to get the bill because <laughs> you, you would rather like have butter down your shirt yeah. than allow somebody to give you something. That is like exactly like that is a core. Wound. Like even my husband to this day, like you, you're talking about the giving thing. So I don't know if you, you just like assumed that, but like literally, it's a, it's like a psychic moment here. Like he will be like, we, we go out to dinner all the time, and I'm like, let's get the check. Let's get. He's like, why can't you let somebody else ever get the freaking check, Kelly? Like, why is this so hard for you? But it's because it's because of that. It's like that giver over giving fear of like people even 
it goes beyond my husband as like pure people not wanting to be my friend or not wanting to whatever it is because like right. if i don't you give they're gonna they're gonna leave um and so I I think that's really, really fascinating. So hi, I'm Kelly Namiro, your host, certified holistic hormone coach and Pilates instructor for the WBK method. You can consider me your guide in helping you curate the very best version of yourself from the inside out. Feeling physically better by optimizing your hormones to feeling mentally and emotionally better by creating a more deep and grounded connection with yourself. I get questions all the time in my DMs about things like, what supplements should I be taking for my menopause symptoms? Or is it normal that I'm always exhausted? My doctor said that's what happens as I get older. Or maybe I gained 20 pounds in the last couple of years and I have no idea how to lose it. And even I'm chronically bloated and I've tried every elimination diet. Please help. But here's the thing. There are no quick fixes out there. Until you know the root cause of what's going on in your body and you use precision supplementation, a targeted diet, and mindset and lifestyle changes that are specific to your unique circumstances and lab values, you're never going to be able to heal. Throwing just random supplements that make all these promises or a restrictive diet at a weight issue is never going to work because it's not focused on what's going on internally with you. And often we can make the problem worse when we do these things. And that's why I've created the WBK lab review package. In this package, you'll receive lab kits and a custom lab form based on your symptoms and health history. Once you've completed the saliva kit for your adrenals, the stool kit for your gut health, and the blood tests for your hormones and other health markers, we'll sit down together and create a customized plan that will help you balance your hormones in a holistic way so that you can lose weight, have more energy, maintain a balanced mood, and achieve the results that you've been wanting. This year, it is time to get the results that you've been dreaming of because you're targeting your unique system. If you're ready to experience more energy, comfort, confidence in your body, and relief from those nagging symptoms that have been bringing you down, I would love to support you in doing just that. This program includes a one-on-one call between you and me, all of the labs needed to create your customized protocol, and a PDF with your unique plan that you'll be following going forward so that you can take your time in implementing your new diet, supplements, and lifestyle changes. To learn more about this, head to the link in the show notes or go to wellnessbykelly.com to learn more about the WBK lab review for somebody who like it is aware of their childhood wound, their trigger point. What's the best way to start working on this? So they show up differently in their relationship mm-hmm. or is it the couple working together on this wound? I think, um, it could be either. So I think that's, what's really kind of spacious about this work. There's a lot of degrees of freedom, but if, if I'm really honest about my wound and I really understand that it came, you know, what happens to the childhood brain in year zero through five is insane. It's like more than a million neural connections are being made every second in year zero through three. So it's like in our parents from the moment we're born are teaching us about the energy of relationships. They're teaching us how they feel. They're teaching us when we get when we get attention, when we don't, when we matter, when we're safe, who is safe, who isn't. You see what I'm saying? So we're getting all of this. If you think of the brain like a machine, we're getting all of this coding into the machine about the energy of relationships. So if all of this started a good 20 years before my partner even enters like stage right, <laughs> Yes, I can do this work in conjunction with my partner. And I think in some ways this can be incredibly powerful, but there is always a piece of this. I have to not walk alone. Like I could even do it in in therapy with my couple, with my partner present, but 
I have to reckon with my own past and my own feelings. And so I think what we need to start doing is just saying, okay, well, what's the pattern that keeps coming up for me? Okay, mine is overgiving, right? I feel like I'm not enough. Well, what's really beautiful about this work is when we understand that it's emotional energy that creates situations, it is not situations that create emotion. Let me say I want this you again. to repeat that again yeah. because I think so many people feel like they are victims to their circumstances. So please say that again. So I want to say here, my I am fundamentally a, a trauma expert. I work with extensively with trauma in every kind of capacity you can imagine. So I am very clear that horrible things are done to us. I mean, this is exactly what childhood trauma is, right? We have very limited agency. And oftentimes our parents are our greatest betrayers. So I am not saying for one second that the world does not do horrible, shocking things to us. I'm saying in moments in time when those things have happened, they've already happened. None of us have a time machine. How do we show up in the most empowered way to take control over our lives in a way that feels good for us? Okay. So what happens in a lot of our lives is we think way too much about situation. In other words, this person said this to me on Tuesday. These person were, people were going to do this on Wednesday. You said you were going to do X. You said you were going to do Y. So we're very triggered situation by situation by situation. Now, I talk a lot about this in Energy Rising, and I give a, a really strong exercise to do, so people can definitely check this out. But what tends to happen because of how the brain constructs reality and constructs meaning is I go into a situation and this is why two people, haven't you ever had a scenario where you're with your friend and you're like, I can't believe you like get coffee or something. You're like, I can't believe the way that person talked to us. And your friend's like, I don't, what I, no, not really. (laughs) So And that's one example. We know all the way up to people experience trauma differently. In other words, some people get PTSD and some people have post-traumatic growth. So the situation doesn't mean anything until we put our emotional meaning into it. So what we have got to be asking ourselves is what is the emotional pattern I'm carrying across situations? Mm -hmm. So to use yours of I'm not worthy or I'm not good enough, that's coming up in your marriage. Maybe it comes up when you call friends. Maybe it comes up when you go out to dinner. So what I would tell you to do is to get a piece of paper and write 10 things, 10 examples of where you could, if if your trigger was like, I can't receive, I would say, give me 10 triggers of when you could receive. Yes. And I I would rank them from easiest to, to hardest, okay? And I would maybe do like, a, a level seven intensity. So maybe a, a 10 would be like, you would call your friend up and say, I need you to take me out for dinner right now. Maybe you're like, if I had to do that, that would just like throttle my nervous system too much. But you would come up with examples of what feels like a seven level activating mm-hmm. to receive. Okay. Maybe it would be, and what's cool about this is because it's not situation specific, you could pick some from your husband, some from social media, like you could say maybe a seven is asking my husband for a massage, even when I know he's tired. Another example of a seven would be going on social media and asking people to share my post. Another example would be calling my friend, telling her I'm really stressed out. Would she mind having me over for dinner? 
You see, so at each of those moments, they situationally look different, Mm -hmm. but I'm still tapping in to the same emotional energy. And what I'm really doing is I'm challenging myself to hold a different level of emotional resistance in my nervous system. Now we understand this perfectly on the physical health side. In other words, if I wanna get stronger and I can only lift five pounds, I have to go to the gym and I have to hold 10 pounds. When I go to first hold that 10 pounds, like all of us who work out understand, I literally shake. Right. But never once have I freaked out, fled from the gym, ever, never to return ever again. The shaking is the clearest evidence that I'm actually getting stronger. Progress. That is, I feel like I've never actually heard someone describe the idea of getting uncomfortable in order to grow like that. And I think we all can really understand that going to the gym, lifting a weight that's heavier than we are used to, like, it's very easy to understand, but yet a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to do this uncomfortable thing. I'm going to be like, fine, say, but it's like, what's more uncomfortable? Is it doing the thing that makes you feel uncomfortable or is it staying in that triggered space over and over and over and over again? I mean, you said that so elegantly. <laughs> I talk in energy rising about this, this concept it's called pick a more powerful pain. So what happens to all of us is the brain at a very primitive level is wired to avoid pain. Pain is the clearest signal. It's like the neurologic signal that you could be in danger. So if I put my hand on a hot stove and I burn it, I'm going to pull my hand away and I'm never going to put it back there again. We call this one trial learning in neuropsychology. The problem is that the same principles around pain avoidance apply in our emotional lives, but we're, we're hit. How many times have we burned ourselves on a hot stove? But we're getting into these same emotionally distressing situations over and over and over. So what people are doing, largely unconsciously, is they're looking for the pain-free option. Yeah. In other words, if I keep my mouth shut, I can avoid pain. If I say yes, even though I want to say no, I can avoid pain. If I overgive, I can... But we can see in each of these cases, there is no pain-free option. It's like literally trying to find a house. We want to buy a house on a plot of land where there is no gravity. It's like, what? You're going to spend all that energy trying to find the one home on the planet that doesn't exist. Save yourself, right? So the powerful question is not, how do I escape pain? The powerful question, again, I recognize that this is counterintuitive, is in a world that promises me pain, which pain works toward my empowerment? I love that. We meet pain not to injure ourselves. When we intelligently meet pain, quite the contrary happens. We become more resilient, more strong, more free, more connected. So if I'm constantly self-betraying in order to appease other people, a lot of us are people pleasers, we're not fooling our nervous system. Our nervous system says, yes, they seem unsafe out there, but who's really unsafe is me. At every turn, I won't advocate for myself. At every turn, I collapse on myself. At every turn, I betray myself. And then what in the world does it matter if all the people around us are saints? If I have to live inside of my own body and my own body, my own desires, my own emotions are unsafe to me. So well said. I think that 
people can really take so much away from that. And I think that a big issue that I see with the women that I work with is exactly what you were just talking about is the people pleasing thing is because like, we think that we're going to get away from conflict or away from the argument or away from letting someone down if we just do what they want. But then there's all this discomfort and dysregulation internally because we're not living in alignment with what's actually important to us. So that kind of leads me into my next question that I'm really curious about when you're working with couples or you're doing the research on these people in relationships, right? Um, I know that for Chad and I, we've been in therapy for years now together and not because there's necessarily something wrong anymore, but because we found that it really leads to better, more effective communication for us to be able to talk openly about things. And we are just always learning these new strategies um, for how to communicate with one another. And again, coming from that wound that I have of like, I'm not worthy. My needs don't deserve to be met. One thing that I used to be really bad at was communicating my needs with mm -hmm. him. And mm -hmm. so I'm curious again, like in the, the work that you do, what is the biggest kind of like core issue that you see that causes the arguments, the fights, the conflict within couples. It is it, is it a lack of communication? Is it like, what is it? Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something that I think is going to like blow your mind. Okay. So remember how I said the brain is a pattern detector. So it's right. going apple, apple, apple. Well, and I, then I described that where the brain's not actually going apple, 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 it's going emotional prediction, emotional prediction, emotional predict, right? Right. Okay. So there's really only one emotion, only one that works against the fundamental design of the brain. Now, as someone who's worked a lot with, with trauma for many, many years, I have seen every difficult, um, I've seen not even just the difficult ones. I, so when you're in rage, your brain knows what to do with rage. When you're joyful, the brain knows what to do with joy. When you're bored, the brain knows what to do with boredom. The only emotion the brain is like, I don't know what to do is confusion. If the brain is if the brain is in the business of going apple 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 fill in the blank, it will tell you orange. It could be wrong. It doesn't care. It could tell you papaya. Why you would choose a papaya? I have no idea. They're terrible. But it, it, it just needs something. What happens is the only thing that causes the machinery of the brain to to pause is confusion. Like I don't know what comes next. Mm. So another word for confusion at the neurologic level is uncertainty the human brain has an allergy to the uncertain. Right. So what does this mean? So confusion- Is that because we don't feel safe? Uncertain confusion, we don't feel safe? So basically what happens in life in the couple is if I don't know what comes next, mm -hmm. I don't know what to do, the fundamental drive of the brain is always survival. Right. So okay. If for example, and it's survival at such a reactive unconscious level, like when we talk about it like this, it's almost silly. It's like- yeah, yeah, nobody's dying around here, right? But it's, the brain is just going to armor up. It's going to be vigilant. It's going to be reactive. It's it's constantly scanning the environment far outside of your conscious awareness for things that might threaten it. So when your husband or your wife or your partner comes home after work one day, and the and your pattern detector is set up where the expectation 
if my husband's going to come in or my wife's going to come in and they're going to give me a big hug and greet me with warm eyes. But the partner had a bad day and they walk in, they kind of grunt at us and they turn on their heel and walk upstairs. The brain initially registers that as confusion. That mm -hmm. was not my expectation. So there's a, a very fast, often unconscious sense of kind of blinking like, huh? Right. But the brain can't tolerate, huh? Because there could be a monster in the closet. There, so very quickly, and this is another counterintuitive piece, the brain will make a conclusion that makes you feel safe, in quotes, even though it is wildly destructive to our relationships and ultimately actually very unsafe. In other words, my partner doesn't love me. In right. other words, my, my, yeah, my friend has not texted me back for an entire 12 hours. I guess she never wants to be friends with me. I guess she's breaking up with me. You know, it's like, we just can't hold the uncertainty. We can't tolerate the ambiguity until we have conversations like you and I are having. And this is why I'm so willing to do these podcasts yeah. to say, if we want to be emotionally powerful in our lives, we have got to have a new understanding with uncertainty, a new relationship with it. I can see how that would start. I mean, cause I mean, you know, I think that, I think that one thing that has to be like discussed just as we're like going through all of this is that there are people out there who think, oh, like that couple never fights or this couple never fights. And I just think that that social media almost kind of. They're the couples that frighten me the most. I'm kidding. I'm kind of kidding, but it's like. It's like when people are like, I had a great childhood. Like, ah, let's talk. No, I'm kidding. I mean, let's talk about it. Um, this it creates this really unrealistic expectation for people. So I will just put it out there that like what you're just talking about right now, like that has happened to me and my husband, like multiple times where, you know, he walks in from the day and, or, or vice versa. And the expectation of, Correct. Hi, I love you. Like, tell me about your day is there. And then the other person had a really stressful day. And so the expectation is not met. And what I mean by the spiral is then like this person, like for me, I get like hurt, upset. Why are you not meeting my emotional needs? He gets defensive, Correct. angry, Correct. like this Correct. isn't about you. Why do you make everything about yourself? And like, it goes back and forth. And so like, that's what, when you were saying like the relationship challenges, like that's how, that's how the confusion sets the spark on fire. I'm guessing for all like the arguing. Exactly. And I think, you know, your work is really powerful to normalize this because we're all living this, right? It's so it's like, I have to be defensive, you know, I have to be defensive and like, is, you know, defensive vigilance is the exact opposite of intimacy. It's the exact opposite of connection. So there's so many things about the nervous system, unfortunately, that reflexively work against long-term relationships. Okay. That's like, it would it be better if there was no gravity. I don't know. It just is. So then the powerful question is understanding that my brain has these parameters. The brain is going to do what the brain is going to do. How do I show up in a relationship that then really brings me sustainable joy? Yes. Yes. So if we like, if somebody realizes that they're in that, that pattern with their partner, right. Where the expectations are not being met. I'm guessing that the first thing is to start to define more clear expectations or like what you both want in terms of like things like that, like after work or in the morning or like what your time together should look like. Um, 
but I would love to hear from you. Like, how do we get out of that cycle of confusion, defensiveness, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, I think there's I know that people can learn all about this and all of the work that you do with your book. And I'm, I encourage them to absolutely do that. But if you have like, just like a, I don't know, a short summary. Yeah, no, I mean, I love the question and we can take it so many different directions. So I think the idea here is like, how do we get to, because I think what happens in the classic anxious avoidant relationship dynamic, it's like, I need to talk, I'm, I'm at, so there's usually one person in the couple who says I'm activated right now and I need you to talk to me and soothe me and make me not activated. That's and there's one, <laughs> yes. So the more, the more, on the more anxious side, then there's someone who's typically what we call more avoidant. So it's not that they don't want to connect. It's just that their own childhood and their own neurology is now like, I need to get centered. Like I'm so flooded right now. I need to get centered yeah. and be able to come to this in a new space. Yes. So is this unsatisfying for the person who is more anxious? Yes. But, you know, I think if someone is truly flooded, have you ever like been around a toddler that's having a temper tantrum? It's yeah, like, there's no reasoning. <laughs> there's no <laughs> <My> reasoning. <toddlers. laughs> so just because our, our partners can look when we're flooded, it's too much. Now for the anxious person, they're flooded too. And they're, they're like, all this shit's coming up. Like I'm abandoned. You don't love me. Right. It, it feels like I'm on fire. So it's it, in those moments, those are, I think, the the weakest part of this. In other words, like the best, like, let me just have a friend that I call here. Let me have a routine. Let me have a YouTube video. Let me write a script. Let my partner have written the script when he's calm. And so maybe I pull out a note that says, I love you fiercely. I love you always. I just am centering myself right now. And that's like, okay, right, right, right. But then the good work, the powerful work, the transformative work comes when we're both calm, typically we do this, you know, I think on a retreat or with a coach or with a therapist and to say like, what really are the patterns here and what tends to happen? And this is why the childhood coding piece is so big. It's we are actually at war, not with our partner. We are at war with ghosts. Oh, yeah. Oh. We are having ancient ancient battles about shit that is not even happening in real time. And the reason that this is so true is I will have couples who will say, she told me to start doing the dishes. He told me to give him more space. He, in other words, the, the partner starts to do the thing and the other partner starts to say, oh my God, you're right. And it's not making me feel as much better as, as I, thought I thought it would feel. So why? Because I'm responding to something that's not happening in real time. And in that moment, there's powerful, powerful awareness to do really deep transformative work. I resonate with this so much. And I'm so happy that we're wrapping up on that note because I really do like what we have noticed my husband and I, like in the work that we've done together over the last like three or four years in therapy is that like our arguments, one, they've gotten so much less frequent because we are fully aware that nine times out of 10, they are over the same exact thing. And it's like, if I'm irritated with him about not doing something, okay, well, can I just do that thing and be like more okay with the fact that like, this is really about me. And like the frustration is really about like myself versus it really doesn't have much to do with him. And there are so many great things that he does do. Um, because like you said, like, I don't feel like that much better when he does the dishes. It's like, 
th that's not the thing. It's about me and myself and we're doing the work on those like old ghosts that you were talking about. So I think that that is a really powerful note to end on. The last question that I ask any guest that we have on the show is I think that life is the reason that we call this podcast the balancing chaos podcast is because life is chaotic for a lot of people. We've got a lot going on. You've got a book, you've got programs, you've got a family. How do you balance it all? Oh my God, that is a good question. How do you balance it? <laughs> well, to be totally honest, it depends on the day. Um, you know, I really try to walk the work. Like I, I really, I think I come to this work. I, I trust that you can feel my energy for it because I really try to live it. So I, I'm always thinking about ways to meet my emotions. So for example, for me, I have a very religious, two kind of religious practices in my life. One is every, I have, I have little kids. We say a gratitude prayer every single night at dinner, whether we're in this, you know, sometimes I'll travel for work. Like we are saying it every night, no matter what. And I think that's just a moment because it's so, you know, the brain has a negativity bias. Right. So it's so easy to be beleaguered by problems. And if you don't actively stop looking for problems, they will constantly find you. Do you know what I mean? There's yeah. infinite number of problems. So the gratitude practice is big for me. And then every night I have um, an energetic intention each year. So this year, the energetic intention is, is beautiful. So every night I go in my basement, it's not a nice, it's just a shitty, like cold basement, but I like the austerity of it. And I, I reflect and I journal on what was beautiful today. Oh. And I gotta be honest, some days there, there wasn't much, um, um, but <laughs> I I'm coming back to the practice because emotions are like the weather, you know? And if, if we just, if we don't have an anchor we're going to get whipped all over our life and our life is going to feel more chaotic and more painful than it needs to be. Yeah. Like you said, like, I love that one line. Like, I feel like that's going to be such a good, like little short for us to use to promote this episode. Like you get to create, like you get to set the tone for your emotions rather than circumstances controlling how you feel. It's so, it's so hard, but it's still so true. So then the work is like, at least let me do the hard, true work instead of like the easier, pointless work. Totally. A hundred percent. Dr. Julia, this was so fantastic. I know you're super busy and I'm so grateful for your time. Where can everyone get your book? Where can everyone follow you on social media? All the things. So I, I'm on the, I'm on fire to talk about emotion and relationships in the brain. So I'd be happy to continue these conversations. You can find me on Instagram at, at Dr. Julia Deganji, LinkedIn, Dr. Julia Deganji, Facebook. I'm just Julia Deganji, or you can connect with me. And if you're interested, I do a lot of courses and coaching on relationships and emotion. My website is drdrjuliadeganji.com. All right, we'll link all that up in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode. You can follow me on Instagram at wellnessbykelly or head over to our website, wellnessbykelly.com. Sign up now for the Wellness by Kelly seven-day free trial on our app or head over to our course and now get 20% off the course or 10% off of the membership with the code Balancing Chaos, all one word, B-A-L-A-N-C-I-N-G-C-H-A-O-S. In our course, you'll get access to an emailed lab review plus protocols built out to help you heal with whatever hormonal imbalance you're struggling with. With our membership, you'll receive a library of content with our app with low impact workouts, blood sugar balancing recipes, and mindfulness meditations, all designed to help you balance your hormones and help you feel like you are living your most beautiful, joyful, and vital life. 
If you like the show, please leave a rating and review. That is the best way to help the show grow and get to more listeners. We hope you enjoyed and I will see you next week.